0: Thank you, Devontae. What a treat this morning. Our scripture lesson is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, the first 13 verses. He was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us and do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, Lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is a friend, At least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives, and everyone who searches, finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let's pray. Bless, O Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, O Lord, our rock, our only strength, and our redeemer. Amen. Ron Dunn wrote a book entitled Don't Just Stand There, Pray Something. He recounts within that book a date in June 1944 when he was in Washington's Union Station. He was there in the waiting area looking for a friend of his, and there was a tension in the air of that time. Now, there were no shouts of extra, extra, read all about it. No intercom to indicate anything was to be shared or talked about. But he realized as people were scurrying and crisscrossing the lobby that it got quiet. And people were saying, what is it? What's happened? And the word began to spread It's the invasion, they've landed in Normandy. Union Station apparently was so quiet you could have heard a pin drop. In the stunning silence, one woman turned around and faced the bench she had been sitting on and she knelt in front of it in prayer. The guy next to her then got down on his knees. And throughout the station, everyone followed suit. Who knows who they were praying for, if it was a husband or a son or a friend. But they knew they needed to pray. And whether they were prone to praying or not, It was one of those occasions where there are no atheists in foxholes. It was the same experience on September 11th, wasn't it? Wherever we were that we heard the news, the wind was knocked out of us and quiet filled the air. After a few minutes of rolling a TV into the church office that morning and turning it on and seeing the replay of the plane going into the Twin Towers. My associate at the time said, we need to pray. And I confessed, I said, and what are we going to say? June 6, 1944, 9-11-2001, every place people were became a house of worship and a place of prayer. Two days when people who don't think to pray stopped and begged God to be present. I share this story this morning because Luke focuses On the power of prayer more than any other gospel. It begins with prayer in chapter 1, verse 13. It ends in prayer with chapter 24, verse 53. When Jesus goes down into the water to receive his baptism, he's praying. Regularly, he goes away from his disciples. To pray. He prays at critical events when he's about to begin calling the new disciples, the day the fateful decision is made to go into Jerusalem where his death will be likely, his transfiguration on the Mount of Olives, Jesus dies praying. And he rises again to pray for his disciples. I don't know if you saw it, but a few minutes ago in our narthex, Beth Davies was proposed to right there in front of God and everybody. (laughs) Because Darren said... I want you to know that God will always be first in our marriage. Now, that marriage has a prayer, doesn't it? It also has man points. Go Darren! (laughs) Go Darren! All we need to remember this morning is that the intimacy of this praying relationship begins by Jesus saying simply, Father. He's focused on the heart of God and realizes that the God-sized hole in his own heart can be filled with nothing less. When he addresses his Father, his heart just burst with love, and he, he says "Hallowed, "Be your name." That awe and that wonder allows him to offer three petitions: for what he needs in daily bread, for the sustenance of each day, for forgiveness and the restoration of broken relationships. And for the deep prayer to be spared times of trial and evil. It's simple, it's elegant, it's beautifully real and honest. Five sentences that shape the most important relationship of our lives, spanning the breadth of Christian life. Get those down. Your life squares up. So, why is it that prayer is so difficult for us? No doubt, if I ask someone to stop right now and pray for me, many of you internally, at least, would duck, right? It's uncomfortable when we do it out loud, it's intimate. And we wonder, don't we, does prayer work? Does God really hear me? Are our prayers answered? Jesus seems to hear those hamsters spinning within his disciples, and so he hops right into a parable that says, by golly, yes. There's a long sentence that says, you know, if you had a neighbor that showed up at an awful hour in the night and he banged on the door and said, can you give me some bread? You'd say, of course, yes. Because ancient Judaism requires that a meal, at least bread, be served to a late arriving guest. It's one of those, well, duh, kinds of responses. It's unthinkable that God would turn away anyone from need and us from prayer. And if that weren't enough assurance, he goes on to say, well, there's this pleader that comes. There's this seeker that comes looking for wisdom. There's this person that comes to the door and knocks. In each case, its prayer is answered. And last but not least, what child, when asking something of a parent, would get something different? Sounds great. Terribly comforting, until it isn't because we've all asked for something in prayer that wasn't given. We've prayed for rain, for the drop in temperature this week, for the perfect parking space, the new necessary job. Oh, for negative test results. And the recovery of one, we're just about to lose. We might deal with this problem by saying, well, Jesus didn't really mean that kind of a yes, and we try to make an explanation saying, well, we just didn't pray right, or we didn't hear right, or we don't have enough faith. And that God-sized hole in our hearts can't find words prayer is hard so what do we do with Jesus and his yes when it doesn't feel like yes is always the answer Jesus comes to his God by identifying with the bone of his bone, with the heart of his heart, and we are invited to as well, recognizing that we're made in God's own image. God is friend, Abba, Father, acknowledging the most intimate of relationships, our parent who is intimately known, deeply caring, bone of bone and heart of my heart. Prayer, Jesus says, moves us toward an intimacy with God, a tenderness and a closeness like a parent, which isn't always understood, is it? And yet we cannot deny that the one who loved us, birthed us, made us in God's image, and adores the ground we walk on. Yes, this God-sized hole in our hearts cannot be filled with anything else. It's just as needful for us as breathing, and I would say as needful for Jesus in every day of his life. I can only imagine that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray so that they could begin to live like Jesus. And isn't that what we want? To pray like Jesus? Because we want to be like Jesus? And like the friend of the night, we're free to be shameless in our request to God any time any request you can pout yell and demand and god remains in relationship anyway and doesn't it also imply that somehow this parable could flip sides on us and it would be we seated in our bed comfortably tucked in at night and God pounding at the door. Get up. Get up and bring what the world needs. Recognize your brothers and your sisters so that God's will be done on earth and we're spared from the time of trial. When I was in high school, I remember very plainly the day that uh, church ended And they opened the back doors, and everybody went, the offering was gone. It was a little country church. Everybody knew everybody. You took the offering, it went to the little table right outside in the North and then it waited right there for the person who would take it to the bank. You couldn't just sneak in there and get the offering. And yet it was gone. Well, we found out the next day who had taken it. It was one of our rising freshmen in high school who didn't realize you can't take checks to the bank and cash them. (laughs) Well, she landed in the county jail. And the phone rang, and it was the pastor, we called him Preacher, Preacher called Dad and said, Paul, we gotta go downtown. We gotta go, we gotta go get her. Find out what happened. Well, wouldn't you know they got downtown and found out that this child, we already knew this, her father had been nearly uh, sickened to death, seriously, by a ruptured appendix. It was septic before they knew that's what it was. And it was taking months for him to recover. No money was coming into the house for food. These, this was the oldest child in the family. She was starting high school, and she was embarrassed by what she had to wear to school. So my daddy and preacher got her out, made sure that the charges were dropped, called a bunch of Methodist women, go girls, (laughs) and said, you've got to take these children shopping. And then they set up a meal chain to make sure that the family was cared for until they were back on their feet. Can you see it? Can you feel it? a relationship, the need for bread, God's forgiveness of us for not paying close enough attention, us forgiving her, her forgiving us for not seeing, forgiveness and restoration all the way around. God got us out of bed that day, and the relationship was restored. There was deliverance from evil A simple, life-changing prayer with life-changing results. Can you imagine what would have happened to her life if charges had been pressed that day? Well, I want you to know I went home some years later with children of my own, and wouldn't you know who the youth group leader was? This is a personal relationship, yes. The yes that is the gift of the Holy Spirit breathing in and through us. Jesus saying, Ask away so that we can figure this out. Ask personal things, ask corporate things, ask for specifics knowing it's a risk of not getting what you ask for, just be real about it with your whole noble and petty desires. When you want to bargain or be annoying, the parables suggest be shameless about it. One translation says, shamelessly bold. Now, if someone came to your house at three o'clock in the morning, would you get up and say, oh, how persistent? (laughs) You'd say, the nerve. One translation even calls it chutzpah the nerve that would suggest that a person could go murder their parents and then fall on the mercy of the court because now they're orphaned. (laughs) Sometimes these sermons work and sometimes they don't. (laughs) But the context is important here. If a neighbor wakes, will we not give them bread? This is the beautiful flowing of a rabbinic argument that an earthly father knows how to give good things. How much more will a heavenly father give the Holy Spirit? And this is a request you would only make of your family, your God, your father, Jesus calls for persistence in prayer so that whatever is going on in your life, just be you and in touch. Trust that the Spirit will be with you and, yes, in you for what you need. There's a great little prayer I've tried to remember that goes like this. I want to thank you, Lord, for being with me so far this day. With your help, I've been, I haven't been impatient, haven't lost my temper, been grumpy, judgmental, or envious of anyone. But I'll be getting out of bed soon. (laughs) And I think I really need your help. What's the point of prayer? That we grow in our trust of God's presence with us, that we stay close enough to hear, bound by the intimacy of the relationship, to build trust, complete trust, so that when is needful and God says no, we know it's the right thing. Even Jesus trusted God's no in his agony in the garden on that fateful Thursday. He asked again and again, can't this cup pass for me? Wouldn't it be okay if we do it some other way? And when he knew he couldn't and it wouldn't happen any other way, what did he say? Okay, let's do it. Thy will be done. We do not always get what we ask for, no guarantee. And we don't always sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. We have our own, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me moments. But this we know. We do not live in neutral space. The powers of evil are manifest in the diseases of our minds and our bodies, in the lies that claim our truth from us, and in the sins that destroy us and our community. To pray that God's kingdom come is to ask that God's power to create Prevail over the forces that destroy, and that it is power to redeem will bring release from our bondage. The trust developed in prayer keeps us on the journey, living into the questions, into the relationship, into the trials and the struggles. And in that is our transformative spirit. Rachel Held Evans wrote in her last book a story about the challenge of raising toddlers. You know, the time when they start going, what's that? And what's that? And what's that? The questions never end. She sought the advice of Alan Green, a pediatrician, after who, after conversing with thousands of children, determined that we should not answer children's questions with a direct answer. We should tell them a story. So, when her toddler started again, he said, what's that? Actually, he said... uh. (laughs) Wada. She said, that's the elephant that Grandma gave you when you were born. Did you know that elephants live in Africa and Asia and India? And that the people of India believe that elephants are lucky. I once was at a circus where an elephant spun a basketball on the end of its nose. And do you know there's a story about an elephant named Horton who met a who? Someday I'll tell you the story about the four blind men who touched an elephant in different parts and came away seeing the elephant differently. As that practice developed within her family, she noticed that her son would crawl up in her lap and put his head on her chest and he would start to relax and the questions would go away. See, the answers didn't matter that much. They would become real over time. It was the story. We grown-ups aren't all that different. We scurry about the world, picking up bits of theology here and pieces of theology there, Bibles tucked under our arms as we point frantically at the questions of the world and say, what's that, what's that? We may wish for answers. I'm not sure we'll get them. But I am sure instead that God will gather us up into familiar arms of Father and Holy Spirit and say, Let me tell you a story. Thanks be to God. Amen.